I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Today's guest is one of the people behind the scenes who help make the insurance market tick. With a background in finance and operations, he has made a career of helping businesses become successful and stay successful, but hasn't necessarily taken much of the credit for doing so. Now that Rinku Patel is a CEO, running London-based MGA platform Pinewalk Capital, his profile is considerably higher. But the nature of the business that Pinewalk is in continues to put others in the limelight, because the purpose of this firm is to free up underwriters to do what they do best. And that's why I'm really glad to put him in the spotlight today. The MGA space is a fascinating corner of the market at the moment, and Pinewalk is at the heart of a movement to professionalise all aspects of this segment. Rinku is the embodiment of a no-nonsense leader, and this interview clarifies the vision and purpose of Pinewalk and the nature of its relationship with its parent Fidelis, beyond doubt. Rinku is straight-talking, and always comes immediately to the point in hand. If dealings with him in his day job are anything like as direct and effective as in this interview, I can highly recommend engaging with him. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA claim service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Rinku, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Hi, Mark. Glad to be here. You founded Pine Walk quite a while ago now, and I'm sure you're tired of explaining to everyone what it's all about. But actually, it's always, always valuable to have a quick run through of what it's all about why it was formed, and where it's going now. Sure. Pinewalk was um, set up in 2017. We're coming up to our fifth year, and it's really about bringing to the market an all-in-one solution which gives an underwriter the capacity, working capital, platform, and investment, all in one place. Together with a pace of execution, it gives underwriters a high degree of certainty early on about the deal they're walking into. Our ultimate aim is to provide a wrapper around the underwriter in partnership with Fidelis, which means that the underwriter ultimately gets to focus on underwriting, which is why they're generally talking to us, because they're great underwriters. And we kind of enable them to focus on producing those stellar underwriting results that they would have produced in the past. And we do what we're good at, which is genuinely everything else. 
And the reason why you set this up was presumably you, you must have thought there was a gap in the market that it wasn't being done elsewhere. It's a gap in the market. And I've always been difficult to kind of finding just doing one thing. So I've done finance, I've done operations, I've done strategy. And trying to bring that together as well. When I was talking to Fidelis about this, it just seemed like the perfect combination to set up the platform. How many units have you got now? How many MGAs have you got on the platform? How much sort of GWP are you managing? And and presumably it's a pretty good market at the moment, so I expect you're penciling some growth. Last year we managed $250 million, just up to that. And this year we're heading up to $350 million under management. So if you look at the pace of growth, you can imagine a lot of it comes from the new MGAs, Navium, which started in May. We've got Op Energy, which started in November. And we've got the new credit and political risk MGA, which kicks off in June time. Obviously, with our other MGAs. And what's the name of that one? We haven't released it. Oh, yet. we haven't got a name yet, but that'll be a new one. Yep. So that kicks off in June. And obviously, the other ones you know about, which have been in the market for a while now, Radius, Kersey, Oakside, and Paragon. All of the MGAs kind of leading into our $350 million target for this year. But as you know from, I think you've seen it in the press before, our ultimate aim by 2024 is to get to half a billion. And what we have at the moment will actually get us there without adding any more new MGAs. So you're confident you're going to continue the growth organically with what you've got. But are you likely to be adding any more units? I presume you're often in discussions with underwriters wanting to set up a new MGA? Yeah, we're always in constant discussion. We are opportunistic in the way we go about looking for our new MGAs. We don't set ourselves any targets. We look for the right deal, the right time, right underwriter, with our platform, with capacity. So if we find a deal that works for us, we'll look to do it. But you've seen last year we signed three MGAs. This year we have a number of conversations underway already. It's possible we do none of them or we do all of them. It's all opportunistic in the way we go about these. In terms of your time to market, you're saying because you're fast, there could be someone walking in tomorrow afternoon. Not tomorrow afternoon because it's Friday, but you could be setting up quite quickly anyway. You're quite nimble. Very nimble. It's quite surprising to see the way we operate with Fidelis. So we have our process, we have a structure, and with the relationship, which is quite close with Fidelis, what we tend to do is work very, very closely on every single deal with them which enables us to get to a point of execution within a matter of weeks rather than months. I think it's really important to go into detail in that, the nature with your relationship yeah. with Fidelis. So I suppose the underwriters bring the underwriting flair and talent. You bring the operational side of things and the licensing compliance and presumably some form of verification of that uh, underwriting flair, that it's not presumably you're actuarially checking up on these things and making sure that you also agree that the sort of price they're thinking of charging is probably right. And Fidelis... It brings the capital and the licensing, or does it bring anything else? And in terms of ownership, is it bringing investment and ownership? I don't know how well known it is, but Fidelis are our parent company and majority shareholder. So all of the above that you mentioned is done as a joint project. It's all done together. We are part of Fidelis in every single way. So the underwriting, the actuarial side, the operational execution, all of that is done together. If we think about Fidelis as we do as our cornerstone capacity provider, it does mean that we have certainty about capacity as soon as we think the actuarial checks have been done and from an underwriting perspective, we found the right underwriter. So that's a very quick check we can do. In a broader sense, I think, as you've said, we focus on the operational execution and compliance side. 
But from a Fidelis perspective, investment, working capital, it's a package deal. So we go for each of these opportunities together. And you certainly don't feel that you'd be often as an MGA platform, a lot of them are independent. So clearly you're not independent. Does that, do you feel that hinders you in any way? No, I think on a day-to-day basis, we are independent. And how we go about our day-to-day underwriting, day-to-day execution, I'm in a place where I'm trusted to get on with it. From a Fidelis perspective, they trust me implicitly to get on with my job, which is to run the platform. And it probably couldn't be that much better, to be honest. When you talk about being opportunistic, mm. you know, we've got opportunities in the marketplace right now, like in anywhere dislocated, somewhere difficult, like cyber, for example, or cat-exposed property, for example, or, you know, difficult DNO, financial institutions DNO, for example. Are you opportunistic in that sense to say, here's a great opportunity, should we go for it? Let's find someone to go and just start an MGA. Or are you more opportunistic to say, ah, oh, here's a great underwriter with a great track record, and I don't really care what class they're in sure. because I know they're good and I'm agnostic about that. Is it more about the opportunity that that great underwriter suddenly walks through the door, someone with a track record? A bit of enough conflict, I guess, there. With a finance background, I like certainty. So what I'm after is a track record, predictability, what an underwriter is likely to do. From a personal perspective, I like the innovation, excitement and doing something new. So when we look at an opportunity, it is balancing both things. And once we come to a landing across the board, so it's, again, the capacity, the working capital, the infrastructure, does it all fit? Does it work for us? And does it work for us right now? It all has to fit into place for us to want to do the deal. But on that spectrum, would you say that you're far removed, one presumes, from a sort of insurtech incubator that is providing paper for people who've just sort of Mm. out of college who don't really know how to run a business and certainly haven't got a following in the marketplace and haven't dealt with brokers before, for example. Are you more a sort of tried and tested, well, obviously the sort of business like Navian with Clive Washburn who I had on the show last year? Tried and tested, strong calibre of underwriting, that is what we're after initially and first, actually. First and foremost, I'd say, if you look at everyone we've got on the platform, everyone has a track record, everyone's got strong capability, strong networks. We know from an underwriting perspective what they're going to bring. The question is, can they operate outside of their old environment into this newer environment of they're starting up an MGA, it's more entrepreneurial, will they fit into the platform? And that's partly where, I guess, with my team, we come in, which is to enable that to happen as seamlessly as possible. So there's still an element of incubation of sort of people who may have run a department, but of course they've never had to do their HR before. Yeah. Or, and do you do a lot of that, or is there kind of that, almost that mentoring side of it, that incubation? I try to avoid the word incubation. When you hear incubator, it normally means that at some point the business is going to be sold. We see ourselves as more of a platform. It's a platform to set up your business, operate on a long-term basis, everyone has strong alignment. But yes, you know, again, it goes back to the view we have, which is we're a wrapper around the underwriter and the team that we build around that lead underwriter. We want them to focus on the underwriting. We will do pretty much everything else they want us to do to make sure the business is as successful as possible. So in their terms, if they walk in here and they've got their own exit strategy in mind already, if perhaps, you know, someone say after 10 years I'm going to sell or when I hit this much profit or this much income or volume etc I'm going to sell are you okay with that or would you rather they built a business that could become eventually a sort of division of Fidelis what's the actual ulterior motive 
Well, for us, there's no typical exit strategy. So when I'm talking to any underwriters, we look at each and every single deal on its own merits. Does it work? Does it fit? I get quite excited when I look at business plans. So with the amount I see, I'm, I'm surprised I'm still excited by them. But we see so many business plans. And yeah, some will say we would like to get to this scale and exit. But very few have a clear exit strategy. What they're interested in is building a business. They're interested in talking to us as a platform. And what we do is, you know, we come up with a way of helping them build that business. We don't have a typical exit strategy like you may have seen in the rest of the market. For us, the underwriters genuinely come in with a very clear mindset that I've got a strong track record, I can build a book of business. For us, we help them build that long-term, market-leading, sustainable underwriting track record. And for us, we'll figure out a way to help them monetize it. So it's far more, it's more about let's just build it and not worry about that. If we build something, really focus on building something great, it'll be worth loads. And then if someone else wants to buy it, well, fine. But let's focus on that, not think about the end game. Don't put the cart before the horses type thing. Well, yeah. And everyone we've got wants to be part of the platform longer term. So nobody is sitting here saying we want to get out. For us, it's a business we all want to be part of. Everyone is here really looking at the long term. And even myself, I'm looking at it. I don't have an exit strategy. I don't want one. And in terms of the capital structures, there's a lot of interesting models have been appearing and none of them seem to be exactly the same. We could sort of lump them all under the hybrid capital model. Mm-hmm. What's your attitude to that? Are you really a producer for Fidelis or are you also working on behalf of lots of other third-party capital that you bring in? And would you also, the trend for MGAs recently has been to get some of the capital on their own balance sheet as well, sometimes more as a necessity, sometimes as a necessity to help convince that third party mm-hmm. capital that you've got skin in the game. And others, it's not just a necessity. It's of, no, no, we want to make money on 20% of our book, for example. Anyway, that's a lot of questions all at once, but I think it would be a good starting point for a discussion around all of that. How does it work? And so, for one, the first yeah. thing, should you be seen as a producer for, for Dailies? That's a difficult one because I think the way we operate is that we have our own capital and it is for Dailies. That's how we see it. From a Fidelis perspective, obviously, they will do whatever they want once they have the premium. And we do have alternative capital alongside in a couple of the MGAs. But we don't look right now to have our own balance sheet. You know, Fidelis are our balance sheet. We take it quite personally. We've got clear alignment with them. The difference with us is that we operate under different trading names. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's Pine Walk, it's Radius, it's Navium. But we're part of one group. So for us, the underwriting profit is, is the driver for us and we're aligned to that. So whether we have our own capital or not shouldn't make a difference to the way we are. Yeah, but do you think there could come a point where working solely, well, not solely with Fidelis, but primarily with Fidelis, could that put a break on your growth and you might then therefore have to access third party? Not that I can see right now. I think if you look at Fidelis and Fidelis growth and our growth, as long as we're producing the right results, there shouldn't be a problem. Up and from the day we've started to now and looking forward, Fidelis have been completely supportive about kind of the MGAs we have. And right now, I don't see any need to consider any alternatives. You never say never, but there's no need. So it is sort of right for someone to say, if you go into Navium, it is Fidelis paper, effectively. To think of it that way, it's right for a broker to think that. Yeah, and, you know, it's Fidelis paper, but Clive's carrying out his 
old underwriting. Um, it's you know, Clive's interest in making that profitable. It's Clive's underwriting. He's being backed because Fidelis know the quality of underwriting. Everybody knows the quality of Clive's underwriting. He wouldn't have obtained the capacity from Fidelis if it didn't fit the appetite that Fidelis have. We're sitting here in the middle of Lime Street, yeah. right opposite a very famous building at number one, uh, Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's and MGAs have been almost absolutely synonymous with each other. It's always been a great platform for MGAs to seek and to raise or manage mm-hmm. their own underwriting capital. Would Lloyd's ever be of interest? I'd say never say never. There may be a need from a licensing perspective in the future. Right now, we haven't come across an opportunity that's required it. But if an opportunity came along which meant that Lloyd's was an option for us, we'd consider that. But we haven't seen it so far. So at the moment, you've got enough. You have using Fidelis' licenses. You can do business wherever you need to. Well, Mark, we've got to, we think we're going to get to 350 million this year. So for now, as a business, we're just coming up to five years this year. I think we are growing carefully. We're growing in a kind of planned and managed way. It will be further down the line if we do need to go into Lloyd's or think about that option. And where are the best opportunities you're seeing? So when you're sitting at home and you've got your, you're looking at your portfolio and you're looking at your numbers and you think, which ones am I most happy with? Because which ones are going to grow the fastest and sort of which areas of the market are you seeing most, most traction? Sure. I think from our perspective, we are opportunistic in the way we operate with deals. Each business plan, as I said, it's all about looking at it as a whole. It's looking at it from a long-term perspective. And we won't look at one specific market, say, you know, cyber or DNO or whatever it is. We look at each and every deal on an opportunistic basis. If it works, if we can make it work, and we want to be part of that market, we'll have a look, perform an early review, and if we like it, we'll, we'll spend some more time. But on when it. you say opportunistic yeah. and long-term, that sounds yeah. like slightly contradictory it's not sort of opportunistic hey here's a two-year spike in rates in this this class that we can see and then we'll be in here when it's going up and then as soon as it starts to go down again we'll be out you don't mean opportunistic in that sense do you no opportunistic in the sense that we don't not look at any opportunity we see for from an underwriter who wants to set up an mga we'll look at it and we'll look at the opportunity over a 10 15 year cycle for us to make sure it's a long-term business we want to be helping the underwriter ultimately be in their last job. So if I look at it from a two-year perspective, that doesn't give much longevity and much support to the underwriter who's wanting to set up a business. For us, it's really that long-term 10-year, you know, can I build a plan? Does it make sense? Will it last that long? Am I confident about that actually working? And then if I am, we get into the detail of it and it's pretty quick. This business looks very much like a very organic kind of business that you plant your seeds and you watch them grow and you want them to grow into great oak trees. There's a huge amount of M&A going on, activity within the MGA space. Is it right then to discount you from any of that, that that's going to be very unlikely, an unlikely form of growth for any of your businesses? I think right now we haven't seen the need to do any of that. I think historically I've been involved in quite a lot of M&A, so... I would say if something came along that really looked interesting for us, it would add value, make sense from a shareholder's perspective, then we would look at it. Up until now, we've been focused on the organic, making sure the platform's solid. And, you know, and I suppose and it would have to be something that probably originated from or you or unit CEOs say, I really, really want to buy this complementary business that's going to slot in perfectly with the current business. Well, it it could be from it could be an introduction through those guys. It could be something we've seen that works alongside them. It could be something that Fidelis look at. It could be somebody we know in the market who says this would be a great fit. 
But right now, we're coming up to five years. I'm focused on the organic. It's just because that's the way the market is at the moment. It's yeah. a good market, and you might as well just you know make hay while the sun's shining in your own field rather well, than go and buy someone else's. Yeah, and and what we're doing right now, we're doing very very well. So we want to remain focused on that and not get distracted. But you certainly wouldn't rule it out, ever. No. So you're agnostic in, yeah. in that sense. And I haven't asked you this specifically, but I would assume I already know the answer. So there's no exit plan for Pine Walk itself as a group. To be honest, no. I think I'm aligned to the underwriters. It is about the long term. And I, I do plan for this to be my last job. So ultimately, this is my second home. But you do look very old, Rinku, so... <laughs> It's good. You're going to be around for quite some time yet, you're planning. Uh, I've aged a lot in the last <laughs> 10 years. Um, people who knew me 10 years ago, they can tell you how quickly I've aged. I think I've come to the end of all my questions that I have with you, Rinku, because you're incredibly um, concise. You're, you're concise yeah. and, and to the point. So that I think everyone knows what they're going to get with you is quick answers, I think. Quick answers. We're quick at doing the deals. And why beat around the bush? Excellent. Well, I wish you every success. And obviously... I want you to come back on the show soon. I'm expecting to see, obviously, we've got this new announcement in the trade credit sphere when you come up with a name. And also, I'm sure there'll be other units and other corporate activity. We're working on them. Absolutely. And good luck with all of that. And thanks very much for coming on the show and see you soon. Thanks, Mark. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>